Welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Ivana. I am delighted to have Melanie and Slava here with us. How are you guys doing? Hi, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, and you? Good, good. Welcome to the Exploring Art Podcast. So to start off this podcast, we're going to have Melanie tell us about what contemporary art is. Hi. So um, before we begin to talk about Christo, um, something that we need to understand is what is contemporary art. So this refers to art, which is, you know, painting, sculpture, photography, performance, installation, video art, all of that that's produced today. And so today artists work, you know, globally with a really diverse um, and advanced platform. So basically that's what contemporary art is, just art that's produced today. Whereas, you know, some people might've gotten it confused between modern art. And the difference between the two is that there are two different time periods. Modern art refers to art created from the 1880s up to the 1970s, while modern art um, is, you know, it's recent, but not current. So contemporary art describes current works of art. All right, so anyway, now we're gonna actually get into who Christo was and his early life. So who was Christo? Um, he was born as Christo Vladimirov Javachev on June 13th, 1935 in Gabrovo, um, part of a Bulgarian industrialist family. Um, and so he was encouraged by his mom, um, you know, who was a former secretary to the director of um, an art academy, since he was um, really young to begin taking drawing and painting lessons literally at the age of six. Um, so he has, you know, an art background from the very beginning and so in 1956, he um, discovers works by Picasso and Mito for the first time. And he takes out his sketchbook and he starts to explore the city, which results in him doing a ton of drawings in pencil and oil on paper. Um, and so in 1957, when the Hungarian revolution broke out, um, he decided not to return to Bulgaria, where um, this is where he flew, like he fled to Vienna um, on January 10th, 1957. And to avoid being sent to a refugee camp, he enrolls in Vienna's Academy of Fine Arts. And um, he goes to Geneva and he's able to support himself by um, washing cars, dishes and then painting classical portraits of wealthy ladies which he signs with his family name Javachev. Um, so as time passes by um, he eventually goes to France um, on a French visa and saved enough money to go to Paris and um, he took a small maid's room and it served as his studio. And so while he went to France, he met his wife, um, Jean-Claude, um, when he's doing portraits of the family. 
Um, and at the end of the year, he moves into a small one-room bachelor's apartment and um, John Claude's apartment serves as a storeroom. So when he needs even more space, he moves into a second studio, um, a garage, and it makes it possible for him to create large-scale works as well for the first time. And so he married his wife in 1959, and together um, they're known really well just as a duo because they monumentally scaled um, a lot of sculptures and created um, a lot of pieces that um, utilized cool techniques and unique techniques like wrapping large portions of landscapes, buildings, um, objects with specifically engineered fabric. And so they often insisted that the aesthetic properties of their art, um, it had a primary value. And, you know, the, the reactions that it caused from their audience and critics, you know, began to be talked about worldwide um, because they had several different themes across their work, such as like the environment and um, its degradation, the Cold War, you know, humanist ideals, things like that. And so um, their interventions in the natural world and, you know, the built environment altered both, you know, not even just physically the form of the um, pieces, but the visual experience of the sites in which they created which caused that talk, which caused viewers to be able to perceive and understand the locations with, you know, wow. um, qualities that they could appreciate. That's so interesting. Right. That was very interesting, Melanie. And now we're gonna have Slava talk to us about some artworks. All right, so I wanna talk about surround islands. The artistic duo Crystal and Jean-Claude are famous for many things, but mostly for wrapping objects, historic sites, monuments, and buildings. During their long careers, the duo also made many artistic interventions in nature. They prefer to call themselves environmental artists instead of land or conceptual artists. One of their most famous art projects done in nature is called Surrounded Islands. For this piece, the artist chose a fabric in a gorgeous pink shade and surrounded 11 man-made islands in Miami with it. So Crystal and Jean-Claude said that all our work is about freedom. Changing the actual face of the natural environment, the artist duo created a delicate sym symbiotic uh, connection between art, city, and nature without damaging the nature in any way. The artist started working on the surrounded islands in 1981. When presenting it to the press, Krista called it their pink project. The preparations for the project were long and complex, involving drawings, collars, photographs, documentation, and countless meetings with government and local officials to secure permission. Crystal and 
Jean-Claude divided their working process into two phases. The first phase was called the software period. During the software phase, the work existed as an idea which Crystal then turned into drawings and sketches. So it's safe to say that the preparatory works alone are beautiful art pieces too. During the hardware period of the working process, the art project was created, built, and displayed in the real world. During the two and a half year long working process, Crystal and Jean-Claude ran tests to check if the work would endanger any living organism that came in touch with the pink fabric. They also cleaned the islands of 40 tons of garbage that consisted of old car tires, boats, fridges, and mattresses. So one of the islands was even known as a beer can island. The color pink was a big part of the work. Pink was supposed to represent the Latin culture of Florida, but it also functioned as the most artificial color of all. Next to the nature of the Biscayne Bay, pink was a clear sign of something that was man-made. In Florida, pink is also used as one of the main colors of Miami's Art Deco district. And it also represents in the same state's natural world, mainly in pink flamingos. Crystal and Jean-Claude chose pink for their Miami project because it was an artificial color that represented the human hand next to the natural setting. So I found interesting quote from Orlando Central uh, newspaper. Pink used to mean flamingos, sunsets and art deco hotels. Now it means crystal. So according to Crystal and Jean-Claude, at its core, Surrounded Island was a work of art underlining the various elements and ways in which the people of Miami live between land and water. Okay, so now Ivana is going to talk about running fence. So the running fence was 18 feet high and it was also 24 miles long. And basically it extended from east to west of the freeway 101, which is in the north of San Francisco. And it also passed on a, on a ton of like private properties too, of like ranchers. And it, it, it was just like in a lot of places. And because of the size of this project, um, it took 42 months of, of effort, not like participation, not only from the ranchers and collaborative efforts, but also they had to get permission from the government. And basically they had to have like 18 public hearings, three sessions at the Superior Courts of California. And they also had to do like a 450 page environmental impact report on the temporary use of the hills and like the ocean and the sky. It, it was like a lot of effort and it wasn't completed until like 42 months after it was initiated. So it was like, that was around September 10, 1976. And all the expensive, all the expenses, sorry, for the work of art were paid by Christo and Jean Claude. 
and they the way that they raised money was not from sponsorships but it was through the sales of like artworks and drawings and all of that and yeah, I heard about that um I find that really surprising that they didn't accept money from anyone yeah that would have honestly made everything much easier but I guess they just wanted to like have honor in not accepting easy money I'm guessing yeah I mean but, I think it like shows their message a lot of what they were trying to do um and like mm-hmm. the message about the environment and how they did it on their own like I really admire that yeah and all the parts of the oh were you gonna say something Slava no nothing for real like I heard that they usually pay but they paid by themselves and that's crazy because it's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah, and all the parts of the the sculpture, not the sculpture, the the fence was designed for like easy removal and to leave no evidence that it was there because you know that's kind of what they promised the government that they weren't going to really affect the environment a lot. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the the fence crossed like 14 roads and a town and obviously they left like uh places not, not places but like entrances for wildlife and cars to pass by and the government of california basically allowed this for only 14 days and then they had to remove it which is like kind of crazy because you put all this effort for 42 months just to have to remove i would just not put the effort in the start to be honest but i'm guessing it's all part of the meaning behind that they're trying to display behind their artwork um the white fabric uh and used for the fence would like blow with the wind and it reflect the light and yeah it, it was just Honestly, if you just like search it up and look at it, it is a cool like sculpture, to be honest. Not, oh, I keep saying sculpture. It's a cool like creation, cool fence. And uh, real quick, I just want to go back to, to how they didn't accept any sponsorship. So to pay for all of this, uh, it cost $3 million. So imagine the amount of paintings that they must have done to in order to get all that money. And it, it's just really insane. They put a lot of effort into this. Um, not only that, but I've also heard that the the meaning behind the running fence is that it's about the journey and not the end. The The completed fence was just like a part of the whole thing. But the main idea of the main meaning of this artwork is that they had to endure so many obstacles and they just had to persevere in order to to finish creating this fence. And yeah, it's sad that it stood for only two weeks. But in the end, like I said, the meaning for behind the, the fence is that it was about the the journey and the perseverance and and the overcoming the obstacles that that gave it its significance and not the final creation
Um, I agree. And I also think that because of the fact that it took so long, people were starting to like um, notice it more and more and it was calling people's attention. And I think people are more likely to remember it because it took so long, it cost $3 million and then it was taken down um, so quickly. So I think it's more memorable that way of anything. Yeah, I do agree. It does make it more memorable. And now we're going to have Slava talk about Pont Neuf Rat. All right, so another Chris's and Jean Claude's work is the Pont Neuf Rat. So let's talk a little bit about the history of this bridge. The Pont Neuf, whose first stone was laid in 1578 by Henry III and was completed under Henry IV in July 1606, has evolved over the centuries. Since the creation, the Pont Neuf uh, has even recognized for the aesthetics and its topographical richness, allowing the banks of the Seine and the Ile de la Cité to be united in the historic heart of Paris. For four centuries, it has been a source of inspiration for artists such as Pizarro, Picasso, who have interpreted it according to their personal vision and their artistic, artistic styles of their time. From 1578 to 1819, the Point New underwent con uh, changes and additions of the most extravagant sort, such as the construction of shops on the bridge under Salflat the building, demolition, rebuilding, and once again, demolition of the massive Rococo structure, which housed and summertime's water pump. The monumental project is the story of a collective art installation that has had an international impact. To wrap the bridge, Crystal and Jean-Claude accurately chose the fabric. The choice of the Pierre de la de France color was made considering a historical, ge geographical, and aesthetic context. Indeed, the fabric reminds one of stone with an unexpected coating, is a textural material that plays with the sun and is mirrored in the scene. For the actual installation, 300 specialized workers were mobilized, which testifies to the essential human and collaborative involvement needed for the realization of this project. They used over 40,800 square meters of fabric and 13,000 meters of rope and over than 12 tons of steel chains. The magnitude of the means used metamorphosed the Pont Neuf and gave it a new sculptural dimension for the 14 days in the autumn of 1985. The fact that the artist couple had a clear vision, vision of the completed work from the very beginning of their project, despite the long process that was necessary for its realization, showed the importance of the preparatory drawings. Indeed, the realization of the Pont Neuf rap proved to be extremely faithful to the preparatory works. The present work from 1985 bears witness to this long process of research. Exhibited in Germany, Austria, France, and in Italy, this drawing in two parts is representative of the work of Christo and Jean-Claude, and it reveals itself as an independent work.
as a witness of this emblematic project of the 20th century. Wrapping the Pont Neuf continued the tradition of successive metamorphoses by a new sculptural dimension and transformed it for 14 days into a work of art. Ropes held down the fabric to the bridge's surface and maintained their principal shapes, a relief while impassing proportions and details of the Pont Neuf, which has joined the left and right banks and the Ile de la Cité and the heart of Paris for over 400 years. All right, and now Melanie is going to talk about Wally Curtin. All right, so I'm going to be talking about Bally Curtin. Um, so on August 10th, 1972, in Rifle, Colorado, right between Grand Junction and Glenwood Springs, um, at 11 a.m., a group of 35 construction workers and 64 temporary helpers, art school and college students, and just art workers tied down the last of 27 ropes that secured um, 18,600 square meters of woven fabric um, orange curtain to its moorings at Rifle Gap 11.3 um, kilometers, which is seven miles north of Rifle on the highway. Um, so this whole thing, this whole project took 28 months to complete. So that's more than two years to complete um, this entire thing. Um, and it took an insane amount of people. And so not to mention the amount of money that this um, piece probably took. Um, so Crystal and John Claude's temporary work of art was financed by the, the Valley Curtain Corporation, which was theirs um, through the sale of studies, preparatory um, drawings and collages, scale models, early works, um, everything original, um, no sponsorship at all. Um, like Ivana mentioned earlier, they didn't accept any kinds of money from any corporation um, or any kind of help whatsoever. They did everything and raised all their money through their art, which again, I find really um, admirable. Um, and so the Valley Curtain did cost a lot of money, cost over $400,000, and it um, received lots of um, great um, feedback from the residents of the town. Um, and to mention, you know, the people working on this project were construction workers who literally risked their arms and legs and their lives on the stump because of how high and how dangerous it was to complete this project. So not to mention that after all of this um, work and all this time, over two years, all this commitment and dedication, just 28 hours after the piece was installed, it was destroyed by a storm gale um, in excess of 60 miles per hour. So it basically, you know, it showed a message just like the old, the other project. Um, it really isn't just about the, um, the end result, but it's about the journey and getting there because, you know, it took this long. It took more than two years for them to create it and it was destroyed in 28 hours, which I find crazy. Um, so there, 
their installations and this project just allows us to see familiar landscapes in new ways. People and residents of that town that lived there probably never even batted an eye towards um, the landscape in which they built this, but because they built this um, outstanding, unique piece, um, it allowed people to um, view this familiar place that they see all the time in a new way. And because their art and their projects are so temporary, just in their nature that, you know, Christo and John claudes um, pieces don't just generate a permanent lasting artifact because it's really not permanent, but it's an experience for everyone that's um, involved in creating it and just able to encounter and view their work. So um, yeah, just like Ivana said, it really is um, way more about the process then it is about what you finally get and as the final product. All right, so now that I'm, I'm done talking about Valley Curtain, I'm gonna introduce Ivana so she can talk to us about Michelangelo. All right, so Michelangelo Bonarotti, also commonly known as Michelangelo, uh, he, he was an Italian artist who lived from 1475 to 1564. And he was born in Caprese, Italy, which was a village in the Florentine territory. Um, from a young age, he was like very artistic. And by the time he was 13 years old, he began doing an apprenticeship with a painter called Domenico Giulandaio. And with this apprenticeship, Michelangelo was able to develop and grow his skills in all in everything not everything, but in painting and like fresco techniques. And his talents, like they flourished a lot during the Renaissance area. And he quickly re uh, gained recognition from that. And like, for uh, despite starting as a painter, he eventually branched out to architecture, poetry, and sculpture, which is what I want to emphasize on. So um throughout like his career Michelangelo worked in like many cities and but the most the ones that are most commonly worked on worked in he commonly worked in sorry was Florence and Rome and Florence was actually where he created his one of his famous sculptures which is David and it, David is a sculpture that symbolizes strength and independence and he also produced other sculptures like the Pieta, which depicts the, the Virgin Mary holding the body of Jesus. And that sculpture is supposed to signify pity. And obviously his artworks, they, they've always captivated and inspired people. And it's always had an influence on many generations of artists. And even to this day, like, it's uh, it's amazing that he lasted through all this time and still remains famous. And the reason I wanted to talk about Michelangelo is because Cristo was also a sculptor. And as I mentioned earlier, Cristo's work of the running fence, I mean, the fence, it was more about the journey of his creation rather than the end. And Michelangelo, 
he would use marble on his sculptures like David and Pieta and in like that marble itself had its own journey before it was used for the creation you know it was cut from marble blocks in Carrara which is a city in Italy that is very well known for the extraction of marble and you know the the marble had to be shipped it had to you know get to the place and it had its own journey before being created just how the fence had its own journey before being created and so that that's why i'm talking about michelangelo because these two cases relate so basically they're just similar in the sense that they both had their own journey before being created and yeah that's it well thank you so much for joining us today melanie and slava i appreciate it and this concludes exploring odd podcast subscribe to exploring odd podcast on itunes spotify soundcloud or wherever you get your podcasts thank you for listening please join us soon and remember to stay curious bye bye